You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Five, four, three, two, one, and here we go again. Welcome back, everybody, to the uh, third podcast this week. I had uh, some extra time, so I'm recording some extra podcasts. And uh, today's podcast is going to be a Hunter Profile podcast. His name is Josh Bias. He lives in North Carolina, but hunts in West Virginia in a bow-only county, uh, which is kind of cool. And we're going to walk through uh, how, where, when, all that kind of stuff, uh, in some of the uh, mountains that he hunts in in West Virginia, some of the strategy that he uh, applies, and uh, you know, just go ahead and uh, talk about talk about it. I mean, that's what we do. We're a podcast. We like to talk. Now, today I had a gearhead bow ske- uh, commercial scheduled, and uh, basically I scrapped that because I want to just like my first. Uh, impression with my actual bow being set up yesterday I took it to a um, I ended up taking it to a bow shop they put on the rest they put on the um, the site and they adjusted it for me put in a D loop put in a kisser button put in a peep site Uh, they even paper tuned it for me and this bow shoots money like it's a t- it's the T30. I have the T30 with a carbon fiber grip, and it is ridiculously smooth. It's ridiculously good, uh, and you know what? They pay me, right? They pay me, so you can only take what I say with a grain of salt, right? But what I do want you to know, and what I do want you to uh, do, is please just go shoot this bow. It it you know. Don't judge a book by its cover. You know, everybody always says that. Don't, based off looks, don't judge it. But it's the looks that make the function, you know, this bow function on a high level compared to any of the high dollar, high efficient, you know, name brand archery companies that have, that are on the market, right? So I would put this bow along any uh, alongside of any other bow on the market from an efficiency standpoint from a hand shock standpoint from a you know just an overall high quality bow and like i said go shoot it even if you have to drive two hours take a day drive there shoot the bow get your mind blown and then and then you know Ask me questions. I don't care. But if you guys do want to find out more information about uh, the T30 that I shoot and uh, the bows that Gearhead makes, visit gearheadarchery.com. And uh, like I said, 
call them up if you have any questions, email them if you have any questions there. They will respond. Uh, and if you have some minor questions uh, that I might be able to answer, heck, hit me up on Facebook or uh, or email me as well, and I'll do my best to answer those uh, questions. But gearheadarchery.com is their website. Other than that, let's get into today's Hunter Profile podcast with Josh Bias. Mr. Josh Bias, how you doing today, man? Good, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, doing great. Did you have a good weekend? Um, I did. I've been sick, but starting to feel better. I've been under the weather the last few days, but starting to come out of it now. Yeah. What's, uh, did you, how was your turkey season? Um, I didn't kill anything, but I videoed, um, some of my buddies killing a few. We done pretty good, you know, as a group, um, calculating killers. We, uh, I think we ended up killing four or five on video here in North Carolina. We done okay, but I don't really get into turkey hunting that much, but I will go and film and stuff, but I just ain't got bit by that bug yet. I've killed a couple, but you know, it ain't nothing like deer hunting for me. Right, right. So, uh, before we get into this, uh, we're going to do a hunter profile today. Uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us, what do you actually do for a living? I work for Continental Tevis, Continental Automotive, um, same company that builds tires. You know, we got like seven or eight different branches, but uh, where I work, we do the analog brake systems. So, I build... Um, analog brake systems and valves actually that go inside the actual analog brake unit the okay. valves that's inside them and that's what i do and continental is a you know worldwide company you know they're based out of germany but we've got plants in mexico and like five or six in the u.s and a bunch in germany and then where where do you live and where's the plant that you work at um i live in hickory north carolina and the plant's in morganton okay I gotcha. And then I'm from West Virginia, and I worked in the coal mines for um, probably six years there before I moved down here. Just for just for the job opportunity? Yeah. Yeah, the coal mines are so up and down and stuff. Um, I didn't specifically move here for that job, but gotcha. I moved here for work, yes, because <clears throat> okay. the coal mines are so up and down. It's hard to right. keep consistent work. Right. So then uh, what about where – did you, where did you grow up at? You said West Virginia? Yeah, yeah, Southern okay. West Virginia, Logan County. Yeah, I've you know I think I've had another couple guys on uh, from Logan County specifically um, from this uh, on this podcast per se. Yeah. So is that so you you grew up in in Logan County, West Virginia? Um, what was what was hunting like in you know at, when you were a kid? How old are you now? I am thirty four. Okay, you're 34, and uh, when did you start hunting? Getting in, getting into hunting. Um, when I was young, you know, my dad never really deer hunted much, but he always took me squirrel hunting. Him and my grandfather both was big, you know, small game hunters. Really, neither one of them done a whole lot of um, you know, big game or deer, deer hunting type stuff. But you know, I kind of got bit by the outdoor bug. You know, just hunting in general, small game. You know, when I was probably eight or nine, you know, going with dad. And then um, I had an uncle who deer hunted a lot. And he kind of started taking me deer hunting here and there. And then dad would go occasionally. But my uncle and my cousin, you know, kind of got me into deer hunting and then bow hunting. And that was, I think, 
the first year I bow hunted was probably 97. I think the first year I deer hunted was 95, probably, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So were you successful as a kid or, um, um, or something mm-hmm. that you had to work at for a while? It's something I had to work at, and I'm, you know, kind of glad that I did. I don't know. To me, it just makes me appreciate it more, I guess. You know what I mean? I can look back and remember that first one, how I struggled a couple of years before I finally killed that first one, and it just uh, it just meant more to me, I guess. I was glad I had to struggle looking back. You know, that's what I tell people about my little brother now. I kind of, I ain't got no kids, but I take my little brother a lot, and I'm kind of glad he's even though I put him in good stand sites and stuff and I hunted with him for a couple of years, but he's old enough now to hunt by himself. But I'm kind of glad he's kind of had to struggle and he's missed a few and, you know, he missed a really good deer this year. And, um, and he's kind of just filling it out and, you know, making his own choices as far as what to shoot. And he does good. He's the only person that hunts the area we hunt up there that, um, can shoot anything he wants. You know, I'll kind of come down on him, but he helps it shoots anything immature but he's pretty good he passes a lot of stuff but i'm kind of glad he's i just said struggling kind of following in my footsteps i guess a little i gotcha so when was your your 1997 was that your first harvest with a with a bow no with a gun with a gun okay yeah no i didn't kill my person with bow until 98 i believe okay next year i think all right. So once you once you killed that first buck with a gun, you know, some people that I've talked to, they're they're like, Holy shit, this is awesome. I love bow or I love hunting. I have the bug. And other people just are like, eh, you know, hunting's awesome, but I'm not gonna go cannonball into it like uh a lot of the guys that come on this on this podcast. What was what was it like? once you killed your first deer um it it was pretty like i said gratifying you know i was glad because i'd struggled so much it meant a lot to me it was just a little old four point you know i'm actually looking at him right now he's still mounted he's a little old tiny thing but it might as well have been a 200 inch deer as far as i was concerned right you know and it didn't change i was already bit by that bug and you know it didn't I won't say I went any deeper, but I sure didn't pull back any either. Right, right. Yeah, and I stayed at that kind of brown it's down mentality for a few years, I guess. And then I mm-hmm. finally started getting into, you know, chasing bigger deer here and there. But and we'd get lucky and kill one occasionally. But, you know, it still took a few years to grow and mature to where I finally was, you know, only shooting mature deer. Right. Yeah, I didn't really get there for another gosh you know 10 years or so yeah. like i said i got lucky and killed a few in between that time that were good deer you know good mature deer but before i finally took the complete plunge and devoted you know my entire season to chasing nothing but mature deer and you know trying to kill a few does it was another 10 years probably right i think i killed my first pope and young in 01 i believe 2000 or 2001 it was 154 inch deer right Right. Then I had some success then, but then I went to work in the coal mines, and you know you start working a lot. It was kind of hard to find time to put the effort in. You know, what I mean, right. not so much the effort; you just didn't have time or time to scout. You know, working six days a week, it was kind of hard. Yeah. So, kind of going back, you know, you mentioned your uncle and your dad kind of helped you, or you know, guided you down this path. 
you know, to at least get things started. But what was it? Do you have a specific story uh, for us about what actually got you bit? What hooked you on uh, hunting and, you know, why are you a fanatic for it today? Uh, I can't really say why I'm a fanatic. I don't know, but I can remember the first time, like, you know, before, like I said, I went a few times with my dad and then, um, I could take it or leave it. I was, but I was really into squirrel hunting, you know, small game hunting. Like I couldn't, you know, I was big time into that. But as far as deer hunting, it was something I could take or leave. And then I remember in 95, my uncle took me and it was the last day of season and I could take you, you know, to the exact spot we was in. It was um, on a place called Mud River, a place they call Stanley Bottom. We, um, it was some old strip job land, and my uncle took me down there that morning. It was last day of season, so you're looking at early December. <clears throat> and um, I ended up using my cousin's rifle. I didn't even have a deer rifle at this time. And we went down there, and I think then I would have been gosh, 13, I guess, somewhere in there, 12, 13. And, um, you know, I was hunting just not by myself, but kind of by myself, probably within 75 yards of my uncle. You know, I wasn't really trusted to be out alone alone, but, and, uh, we didn't see nothing that morning. And I got with him and we kept slipping around this ridge top right on the edge of the, um, strip job area where they'd been stripping. And we got over and we slipped down one little old point and there's a big rock down there, a big flat rock. And they was, I don't know, man, there was six or seven deer ended up coming up across the point over in front of us. And there was one buck there, but we never could get a shot. He wasn't that big. He was probably a two or three-year-old small basket rack, six or eight point. But I got so nervous, man. I was shaking so bad. And that, was, that was the first time I'd ever been that, even squirrel hunting, I'd never been like that, you know. Right. But it was crazy. And that was, I'd say, when I got bit big time you know my uncle still asks about it because i fell off a rock and ended up spooking the deer <laughs> almost dropped the gun but it's so then, one of the moments you can look back and kind of know that's when it happened <clears throat> nice nice so how many years was it then you said 97 is when you first shot your yeah, deer that, with a gun and then 98 yeah. was your first deer with a bow now yeah. how many years was it before Night, you know, between 1998 until, I don't know, what, when did you start switching over to, you know, hey, I'm going to sh start shooting mature bucks? Um, It was probably from 97 or 98. Like I said, it was probably five years later. I ended up killing my first um, poking young deer with a bow. Okay. Now, was that planned? Like you were you were going after Pope and Young style bucks, or it just um, happened? Yeah, no. You know, at that time, you know, I was young, and I was a you know, you talk a big game, but then it's kind of hard to pass a hundred, hundred and fifteen inch deer when it comes around the hill because I hadn't killed, but you know, I'd killed two or three around that size between a hundred, hundred twenty five inches probably, yep. but I, and I'd killed one really good nine point that was, you know, probably 115, 120 inches, which was a mature deer, but he wouldn't have made Pope and Young. But, and then, um, no, that morning it was kind of an act. I knew that deer was there, but it was, I didn't go specifically after him. Okay. But I was hunting 
bigger deer there. The week okay. before I killed him, I ended up shooting one. Um, he was probably, and this is in Logan County, we're only allowed um, one buck, you know, kind of like Ohio in this county. You're allowed one buck and one doe now, but you got to buy an additional deer with a bow to kill a doe, or you're just allowed one deer, period. And I can't remember if I had um, two stamps that year or not. But anyway, the week before I killed my big one, I ended up shooting a really good eight point and done a big i seen him in a um above a pond he was probably 120 125 inch deer really good solid probably a four-year-old eight point right and i seen him feeding and done this big vietnam crawl up the up this old road it was in a valley field where they filled in this holler on a strip job i got up there and i got above him and got up on my knees and shot him and hit him behind the shot i thought i smoked him to be honest, and I don't know if I just hit high and hit any off shoulder or what, but we ended up tracking that deer for, gosh, um, we ended up giving him probably 10 or 12 hours before we even started tracking him, because I shot him before I went to work. I didn't start work, I think, I can't remember if it was 6 or 7, I think I started work at 7. Anyway, I can't remember, but I shot him at like 4.30 or 5 that evening, So and then I worked 12, it was 6, I worked 6 to 6. I shot him at like 4.30. And I went ahead and worked my shift, and I got off work at 6 o'clock the next morning. And me and a friend, um, Steve Bella, went back and tracked that deer. And we tracked him for, gosh, probably half a mile, three-quarters of a mile. And he bled great, but we never did find him. He never did bed down. And I don't know what happened. I guess I just hit in that off shoulder, you know, because I didn't get a lot of penetration, but I thought I got enough. Yeah. And that kind of made me. A little bit more, you know, I don't want to shoot nothing unless it's that big or bigger the rest of that year because there was a lot of big deer in that holler where I was hunting. I still hunt that holler today. Yeah. I've killed some great deer in there. Um, it's actually the same holler you had somebody on from Logan a while back, Cameron Stover, the deer that he ended up killing illegal, came out of that same holler I'm talking about right now. I got The you. buck he killed. <clears throat> but there's a lot of great deer in there. It's been three or four, you know, 170 plus killed in that area, but Right. And I okay. think that was on October 28th or 29th, but then um, I ended up seeing the deer I ended up killing a week later, um, a couple of days before that. And I think I killed him on November 6th or November 7th. He actually chased a doe. Um, I'd got off work and went up the road and parked. And um, it's kind of hard to explain. There's a haul road where the coal truck come off from the strip. And it's a pinch, and you don't find that many pinches in, you know, the mountains where I'm from like this. You know, and there's a rock cliff, and then you got the haul road, and then you got this wooded area that's probably 50 yards wide, 60. And all the movement is forced into that because of the haul road and the rock cliff and this and that. So any deer that's wanting to move within like a two-mile area has got to come through that pinch. You know, and this pinch is probably two miles long, and like I said, it's probably 50 or 60 yards wide. So it's Reminds you of something you'd see in the Midwest. And, um, you know, I knew a lot of deer had been using that, and I knew about where he was crossing the haul road at on down. So I went right above, and I was more or less scouting that morning. I wasn't even really trying to hunt because it was a, you know, it was my last morning. And at that time, we worked four on, four off, or three and a half on, three and a half off. I worked three twelves and a six, and then I was off for, you know, three and a half days. And this was my last day to work, so I knew I was going to hunt a lot that weekend in that area. So I was kind of, this was the first morning 
this was my last day to work and I always scout that morning. Then I'd go in and hunt hard, you know, for two or three days. I got off work at that time. So I was in there scouting for that deer and got a look at like seven o'clock, seven twenty that morning. And I got lucky and double lunged me. And like I said, lucky, you know, I ended up shooting that deer the week before and couldn't find him. If I'd have found him, you know, I'd have been tagged out and wouldn't even got a shot at, you know, wouldn't even been hunting at that time. So ended up working out good and he's still one of my biggest ones I've killed. I've killed nice. a few in the one fifties, but yeah, it worked out good. He was just real framing. I think they aged him at um seven and a half. He had like seven and a half inch brows and his G two, you know, he he lost some time left, but he had good mass and stuff. And that was your first Pope and Young Buck? Yeah, that was my official first official Pope and Young Buck. And what year did he uh what year did he or uh you said he was in a seven and a half year old. You thought, yeah, yeah. That's what how, they how big was he? He was one fifty four. One fifty four. Yeah. Nice, nice. All right. So then, you know, that was your first big, you know, big buck. You considered it your first Pope and Young deer. Um, is that from that point on? Was it big, mature buck or bust? Um. Yeah, that was what I like to say, another step. Like I said, I'd killed one, two. I think I'd killed two mature deer before that, one with a gun, and I killed a really good nine with a bow. And then that one was just another step. Um, and it still took me a few more years before I was mature buck or bust, but I ended up going, you know, it got easier. Let's say, you know, I wasn't as adamant to shoot a three and a half year old or a hundred inch deer anymore, unless it was, you know, kind of special circumstances. But, but yeah, it was kind of, that pushed me closer to that. But I wouldn't say I'd really got into that mature buck or bust until probably 06, 05, 06. But I wasn't what I used to be either. You know, I, mean, I wasn't shooting every three year old I seen either. So it was kind of in between. I don't right. know, you know, I, so did you have a kind of a uh, a portion of your hunting, you know, career, I guess, where you were where you were going out starting the year saying, "Hey, I want a big mature buck." And then and then as the season would go on, your standards kind of dropped and you you shot something maybe below what your what your original goal was. Yeah, that did happen a lot at first until I, you know, like I said that Unless I would just get lucky, and I did get lucky. I killed a, I think in 02 or 03, I ended up killing another one. It was in like one thirties, and that was kind of another luck type deal. Um, and that was in Logan. Okay. And then we hunted a lot of, um, I was bad about hunting. We had a good place to hunt in Mason County, and we hunted in Lincoln and Boone, and those counties aren't bow only. You can still gun hunt those, but you don't have the quality of deer there as you do in Logan, but you see a lot more deer. Mm-hmm. And I was bad. I hunted with a couple of buddies who weren't, who weren't quite as, um, I don't want to say matured or developed, but they wasn't, let's say, They didn't have the in. same goals as you. Right. They wasn't bought in to chasing big deer quite as, they wasn't where I was at. And um, they wanted to hunt those places, so we would go hunt there a lot more. You know, and hunting something you do with friends. It ain't something you really enjoy doing by yourself. Or at least some people don't. But but there comes a time where 
you know, like you just said, the goals, you know, you kind of make your own way and go after your goals. Right. So then, you know, you started, you said about 2006, right? You, you decided, Hey, I've shot enough deer in yeah, 2006 was the first year I actually went, um, we went to Illinois and hunted. Okay. And so that's kind of what made you want to leave West Virginia? Uh, you know, an area, especially hunting Logan County, which sounds like it has really good deer, uh, in there. You have to work for it, obviously. Uh, what, what made you decide to get up and start hunting out of state in Illinois? I just wanted to see, cause I felt, um, and I still believe this and it ain't a knock on anybody else in the Midwest. Cause it ain't easy nowhere you go. I mean, you know that you live in Iowa and you know, it's not easy to get, I don't care where you live. You still got to work at it to kill mature deer consistently, period. There's no substitute for work <laughs> or putting your time in or scouting or whatever. I just wanted to see the main reason I just wanted to see how I guess my skill set backed up um, in the Midwest. Basically, I wanted to go hunt and see what it was like and see if we could get on mature deer there. Right. Is the main reason. And we ended up going with an outfitter, you know, so if I really wanted to do it, we should have went and hunted DIY or, you know, uh, do it yourself or public land or something like that. But we ended up going with an outfitter. He was pretty lenient with us. We got to, um, hang our own stand and scout we had a good week we ended up not killing but we both did see um some really good deer and then there was a guy killed a uh, like a 162 in camp with us and we was hunting in calhoun county right illinois and that was so, kind of the main reason to go there so you know obviously illinois is one of those big buck states if you're in the right spot you know kind of like iowa and whatnot so I guess when you decided, hey, I, we want to go out of state, what what forced you, or not forced you, but why did you decide to, to use an outfitter on your first trip as opposed to, you know, um, time. looking at map, time? Yeah. Yeah, this time we worked in, the, we was working in the coal mines and we wasn't, um, you know, at this time, I hadn't even killed a, a mature deer in West Virginia in two or three years. And like I said, I really wasn't. I'd killed a couple good, decent deer, but nothing, you know, really big. And working in the coal mines, you know, we had the money to do it. We just didn't have the time to really scout. And, right. You know, you usually just get a week's vacation, so you kind of got to be smart about when you take it. And we ended up booking a hunt and going with an outfit. Yep, that's what they're there for, man. No knock on that. Um so after your unsuccessful season in what you said 2006 yeah um i I shouldn't say unsuccessful season but unsuccessful trip yeah you didn't fill a tag yeah there you go that's better wording uh you didn't fill your tag in uh illinois um but you saw some good deer did you know after that trip you came back home to west virginia what were you what was kind of going through your mind at that point were you still wanting to go hunt other states hunt out of state after that trip or did you then want to focus on uh you know the other you know focus back on west virginia again a little bit both you know it's according actually i don't think i hunted out of state again for man it was a few more it was probably another five or six years before I ended up going out of state again, but, um, we kind of, 
you know, that was our trip. And we started doing a lot of fishing trips, you know, going down south and fishing in Santa Cooper. You know, I, we always like to catch some big catfish and stuff. And we started fishing a lot rather than going hunting. We'd take two or three fishing trips rather than one hunting trip a year. So we just started doing that more, and then we started focusing more. We finally got out of that um, buddy Donnie Hunt, who I hunted with a lot. I finally found somebody who had the same goals, and um, he was ready to make that jump and start hunting chasing mature deer so we started spending more rather than hunting all these other counties that i mentioned earlier which are some great counties but it's like anywhere else it's like hunting west virginia compared to iowa <laughs> you know you know, even though you still got a good chance to kill a good deer in west virginia you've got a lot better chance in iowa to kill a bigger deer that's basically like lincoln county compared to logan county so we started um focusing more on logan county and hunting the area that I mentioned earlier where I shot my 154. And like I said, they've been some big deer in that area killed. And um, hunting a place they call Blair Mountain. Um, you can battle Blair Mountain. Many locals know a lot about that. But there's a lot of lore there with Coalfield. You know, battle of Blair Mountain back in the early 20s for the coal industry. But we started hunting that area a lot. And... Um, like I said, there's been some giants killed up there, too. And that was their goals for the next, uh, gosh, like I said, four or five years. We started putting a lot of time in those areas and got on some great deer and ended up um, killing a few decent deer. Yeah. So You know, 120s, 130s type deer. In, in that area, okay, so... In that area, you mentioned, you know, like a 120s, 130s uh, class deer is decent. What was your what was your goal once you started focusing on that county in a specific portion of that county? What was what were you looking for? What what would have made you happy? Um, back then, anything probably four plus you know, three years old, four years old plus, and kind of, back then I was more caught up on score than anything, you know, 125, I always wanted that 125, 130 plus, is what we always tried to shoot, you know, that's where today I'm more about, I'd rather kill a mature deer, and just so happens that, you know, a lot of the mature deer I've been killing are kind of the higher scoring deer in the air, or at least the higher scoring deer I'm getting, but, um, but that was, kind of our goals back then like i said 125 130 and i think on average for logan county from in that time frame up until now i think the average is around 142 something like that and i believe there's been like 253 deer killed since 09 i believe in logan or i take that back in the bow only only there's been 253 killed but i think the average for logan's like 142 compared to the other three bow only counties you got Mingo, Logan, Wyoming, and McDowell, but Logan's kind of where I grew up, and, you know, I know more about Logan than any of the other ones. But we've got some property in Wyoming now, but back then I didn't hunt Wyoming very yeah. little. I hunted Mingo some, but um, Logan and Mingo was about it back then. So, Logan County, you said the average in the past several years, the average buck is 142? Average. Yeah, bow only average, right? Average that's registered anyway. You know, okay. I don't want to say average buck killed, but eighty percent of the people don't shoot. We're pretty lucky because a lot of people don't shoot young deer there, and that's why 
it continues to grow was I had the number I was trying to find them here but it was um regardless I I feel that 142 is a is a is a pretty good number for just about anywhere in yeah in the that, U.S. That's what you know that's my point with Logan and then it ranks up there with um I got it right here it ranks up there with the Midwest yeah um for sure with everything that from like from 2008 through 2015 the average the top say I took the top 10 bucks killed in Logan and I came up with an average it was 172 Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's the top 10 bucks from 08 through 15. Mingo was 159. I think McDowell was 161. Wyoming County was 156. Now, what? Wyoming and McDowell has been producing some mega giants the last few years. Gotcha. Yeah. But, I, uh, I, and what, Logan County is right on the border of what state? Um, Logan kind of. Or how, is that, is that a border county or not? No, it's not a border county. Okay. You get into Mingo, and Mingo borders Kentucky. And then you get, and then you kind of got Virginia, kind of got a tri-state effect going on there. You got kind of Kentucky, Virginia, West Virginia. And then okay. you got Ohio, which kind of borders, um, it borders Wayne County, but Mingo, everything lays real tight right there. I can be gotcha. from Logan. I can be in Ohio in two hours. I can be in Kentucky in an hour and a half. I can be in Virginia in two hours. Okay. Because it was kind of a good place to live because, you know, then with what Kentucky and Ohio has turned out to be the last, you know, 10 years. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, you started getting serious, right? So what did you do from a strategy standpoint to make yourself, you know, not – only find these deer but put yourself in a position to try to kill them um i'd have to say my success started changing big time with trail cameras and getting the most from cameras because i started using them you know mineral sites during the summer you can spread out you can i usually make a mineral shot per uh 100 acres probably i'm hunting there's a couple areas and i kind of make them into blocks you know people there's one place i hunt and most of the people that come through there know that's the area i hunt even though it's it's coal company ground it's not public ground but it's kind of not public ground or private either it's kind of in between but a lot of people will respect you and won't push in on you if they know you put a lot of time in that area mm-hmm. um, but i try to make a mineral site every 100 yards 150 yards or acres and then I'll see what deer are in the area. And then once I figure out, you know, and there's certain areas, just like anywhere, like you mentioned earlier, there's certain areas that are better than others, which equal, you know, harder to access, you know, places that people don't, if you got to walk a long ways, it could be bad roads, just, you know, a few different things make it harder to access. But, you know, in those areas, you can find these little pockets in you know these bow only counties which are better than others because people have an access where people's overlooked them or this or that right so with this coal ground with this coal ground uh coal company ground you said it's like private but it's not private it's and it's kind of like halfway between private and public 
How do you go about getting access to that ground? Is it uh, something you have to put in an application for? No, not really. Some of them you do, but this area you don't. They're um, as long as you respect, you know, no, you ain't in there tearing up jack or doing stuff to the property. Most of them won't say nothing to you as long as you respect the land. You ain't, like I said, you ain't in there cutting gates up or whatever. And then through a few friends, I ended up getting um, keys to some gates that are in there. And not a lot of us have got keys to these gates. Um, and this is in a different portion of it, but um, we've got keys to these gates. And that's something that a boy I hunt with has got permission to have. And okay. the only time I can hunt this area is with him. And he, uh, I ain't sure how he's got that. But anyway, but that's something. Um, the most of it, no, you do not have to have to get written permission. Right. At least I've never had it. And I've been checked, you know, by the game wardens and stuff. And I've never, nobody's ever said anything to me. Right. So you got on a, a little bit of this property, you got the inside track. So in a way, it's, in a way, it's, it's private because not anybody can go in and hunt it, right? Yeah. That one okay. area. Yep. Yeah. That one particular area. Okay. And is hey, that where. Is that where most of these big deer are are living that you're chasing? Yeah, majority of them. Okay. And they'll get out. It's close enough to the gate that I can hunt it by myself without going through the gate. And like I said, when I'm with one of my buddies, we go through the gate and hunt. Nice. But I can hunt the edge of it too. And a lot of them, there's a main ridge that runs. It's kind of hard to explain up there because everything's the mountains. <laughs> And yeah. you know, West Virginia, it's all timber, but there's just one ridge, west running ridge, and I, yeah, because they right. get a lot of rut action through there. So, what is the main food source for for the areas that you hunt? Um, mainly just acorns and then browse, just woody browse, and then you get a lot of people who feed, and I've never been one. I've never been big on feeding or hunting over feed. The last few years I have started feeding just to concentrate those in a certain area, but we still won't. I will not hunt over a feeder, and I'm not against it. You know, it's perfectly legal Yeah. in West Virginia. I just don't do it. I hunt travel to and from the feed. <clears throat> but, you know, there's um, you get a lot of people. It ain't too bad in that area with people feeding. You know, some some areas are worse than others. Like on Blair Mountain, which it gated off now, but back in the day it got real bad with people baiting bear and feeding and stuff, and you couldn't hardly do anything up there for the bear. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard <clears throat> a lot of guys in some of these counties. Uh, I think I talked with a guy in Kentucky and he, and even another guy in Texas who, if it's, if it's legal to bait in your state and you do not bait... You're you putting know, yourself you're, at a disadvantage. Yeah, because you... Because you, no deer will be on your property. Yep. Yeah, that's and nuts. We had a lot up there. Yeah, a whole lot. And Ohio's bad. You know, Ohio's about the same too. We had at least in Ohio the last couple of years. Indian. We had at least in Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio the last few years. And Ohio's um, Kentucky wasn't wasn't too bad. Ohio, you know, there was a lot of seeding that went on in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you said. You talked about trail cameras. You know, how do you use specifically? How do you use your trail cameras to be successful? We, um, 
you know, like I said, I mentioned earlier minerals. You know, I make my mineral sites, run cameras on minerals, and then once I find a few deer that I'm interested in shooting or find a hot area that's got a lot of mature deer, I'll um, then study maps, topo maps, and I'll find terrain pinches, either low gaps or just where um, kind of steep terrain meets gradual terrain, areas that's not that steep or where it benches out like where steep terrain will finally roll into a bench and a lot of the deer will be forced into that area or you can find like i mentioned earlier the um strip road you can find gas flow roads or places like that and you know you gotta learn a lot of that ain't showed on a map you just gotta find areas and then go walk it and learn it and then you find once you learn what you're looking for you can find these terrain pinches well then i'll go in and i'll put cameras up in these terrain pinches and i kind of scout for um i started doing this in 2013 2012 and 2013 i started running cameras more so for next year you know like this fall i'll be running my cameras for hunting 2018 rather than you know like the camera i ran last year was kind of set up for the hunting strategy for this year Right. If I find an area that I think is going to be good during the rut with trapping stuff, I'll go in and I'll set up two or three cameras within 50 or 60 yards on different trails because, you know, up there I've noticed that you can run one camera on one trail and not get much, and you think there's nothing in there. And then you, if you'd have had a camera 30 yards down the hill, you know, you would have had a 170 on camera. And that happened right. year before last to us. You know, I had three cameras set up and Two of the cameras didn't catch nothing. Then there was a 176 that was on the other camera, which was the camera that went right by the stand. But And then my buddy Travis ended up killing him <clears throat> that same year. We hunted him hard for two weeks, and then vacation was over, and then Travis ended up killing him. But, you know, I'll use my cameras that way. And okay. then, you know, I always, I always make sure I set the date and time on them. And then I've got into, um, starting in 2013 and 2014, I started keeping weather logs too, based off of the cameras. I'll keep daily weather logs. And then when I see, you know, I've seen you and Mark, you know, interview Mark Drury and he brought this up and, um, Don Higgins brought it up too, as far as annual patterns or figuring out triggers and the weather yeah. as far as what's triggering deer and you know what's making them move in your area right and i've had pretty good luck doing that and then i've started breaking down this year something new i started doing is looking at specific deer and trying to figure out what when they prefer to move with like one buck i've got i call him paparazzi he kind of moves with the wind quartering to him from behind which is weird which is opposite from what we normally think of a big, big buck building but it's either quartering two from his side or quartering two from behind right almost every daylight picture i've got of that deer he's always using the wind the same way right that's kind of crazy because i've i've on occasion noticed that uh some of my bigger bucks that i've uh had encounters with coming into an area with the wind to their back, right? They're going with the wind, but they're doing it for a reason, right? Cause these guys don't ever, these big mature bucks don't ever get sloppy and do something, you know, for 
ah, well, today I'm just going to half-ass it, right? I'm not going to – I don't care about the win today. They don't think like that. No. So they're, they're, they're doing it for a reason, and, and I feel in, in kind of in agreement with you, if we can figure out why they do that, then that would be – that's a game-changer right there for the hunter. Yeah, that's what I enjoy doing. I just, I've got to where I kind of enjoy trying to figure these little things out like that. You know, I figured a few in Deer Labs. You, I know you guys yeah. use Deer Lab, and I started using Deer Lab a lot in 2015. You know, I'm not sponsor, I ain't got no connections with John. You know, I talk to John a lot, but you know, I pay for it just like everybody else does. But it yeah. is that side is a game changer. I mean, yeah. if you're willing to go through and take your time, and you know, there's information to be had there. You just got to know what to look for and be wanting to get it. Yeah. The, um, the buck I killed in 2014, um, I called him Holyfield. And every picture I had of him in this certain area, on this one point, every daylight picture I had of him was with a northwest wind out this one point. And this wasn't a whole lot of pictures. I think I had him three or four times out there. But every time I got his picture out there, it was with a northwest wind. And with a northwest wind, it was kind of the same wind we were just talking about. It was, um, it was just real steep holler. And with a northwest, it was... The wind was coming up that holler, and then it would blow across that point in an angle. So he could right. scent check anything down in that holler, but the wind was still kind of quartering to him in his face. So he could still, he could scent check anything out of Long Ridge or scent check anything in that holler by, you know, bedding out there. Right. Just so happens, you know, I got lucky the first morning of vacation, we had a northwest wind, and that's the stand I went to, and I killed him, at, you know, a quarter after eight that morning. Okay. So, you know, hunting in those mountains, what's access like? You know, once you've figured out where maybe a buck's moving, um, is the wind play a big role there? Or do you guys have to fight thermals? Like, you know, when you when you talk about uh, going out west to hunt elk or in the mountains, you know, you got to be you got to make sure you know what the thermals are doing because, you know, they're going up or they're going down. Do you guys have that? in the in the mountain areas where you hunt or is is there consistent wind directions no i've never had a consistent wind and thermals are something you really got to pay attention to and talk a little bit about how you have to use those in detail well that's um like i mentioned earlier the east west running ridge that is one of my favorite i've got one two i've got three stands um four stands actually one, two. I've got three hung on the um, south side of it, and I've got one hung on the um, north side of it, on this east-west running ridge. And what's good about that is a lot of the mature deer, they like to run this, if you can find the right ridge with the right terrain, where they can walk it back and forth. I've noticed a lot of these deer will just, they just make big circles. They'll walk up this ridge, they'll cross it, and they'll drop down on the other side, or they'll just turn back around and come straight back down it. And I think what they're doing is just, they know they could walk two miles up and down this ridge all day, but they can scent check, Lord God, probably 10 or 12 miles worth of area just by walking this. And I've noticed that if I get off, not hunt the top, but just hunt right over the top, and I've heard Dan Infault talk about this kind of, I've never, you know, he kind of opened my eyes up to it, and I like, you know, listen to a lot of stuff Dan says, um, but I've never really, realize this but i guess maybe this is what's going on i don't know but with the thermals rising and then you say you've got a wind coming over top of the ridge 
it kind of creates a um like a um it's a circle it's like a uh, a dryer runs in right. a circle it's right kinda and, like a pocket yeah, yeah. it's kind of creating a pocket of air right there where it's everything's staying the same and they can scent check all that by working back and forth that's the only explanation i got but you know it makes sense but i see a lot of deer using those areas you know that's um, where i killed my deer last year and my buddy i put him on lord he hunted out of the same stand i killed i think he's seen three different shooters and missed 155 160 inch 10 point out of that stand you know scent checking for those but that's kind of how I've learned to use them. And, but as far as hunting, that's probably my favorite stand setup anyway in the mountains. Yeah. Cause on a east west running ridge and hunting, like I said, a bench over. But as far as hunting a consistent wind, you won't have it. You know, it ain't like the Midwest where you can get down and move because access is so rough. You know, you're walking on a, I don't even know what degree incline it'd be, but it's steep, man. We ain't got but probably 2000 elevation, but it gets there in a hurry. It's yeah. very steep country. So walking in and out and going to different stands ain't going to happen because you're getting yourself so hot and sweaty. And most of the time we hunt all day. Once we're in a stand, we're there for the day. Yeah. Even um, if that so, wind is inconsistent? Yeah, even if it's inconsistent. You know, I'll try to keep a lookout, and I'll try to give myself the best advantage and hunt the um, – the less of the evil you know what i mean the one that would be the, the best for me even though because it don't matter where you go up there in a lot of places deer can come from anywhere above you below you behind you beside you you're always giving up one direction of travel no matter where you're at so i just try to pick the one go to the stand with the whichever way the wind's blowing is the you know worst area and then i'll hunt that and then i've noticed i can I'm not scared to, if a stand's hot, I'll keep hammering it. Even, yeah. you know, now it's not hurt me yet. I ain't saying it's right or wrong. I know some people don't like to do that, but if I get a, you know, one of the stands last year, I hunted it three, three and a half days straight last year, and I've seen one, two, I think I've seen two, two or three mature deer there in that, you know, four days. Ended up passing a really good deer, but that ain't the stand I ended up killing. The day, first day I switched, I ended up killing, but. I so to a new stand. you'll you'll hunt you'll hunt a stand until it's hot uh or um while it's hot and what do you mean by that i mean to me that just says that your access route in is really good and the deer movement is um down or upwind of where your stand location is at and you're you know you're not crossing any trails to get to your stand location is that is that right it's a good access um it is good access. I do have to cross. Um, what it is, is it's right under a high knob, and it's a place that I, it's on an east-west running ridge. And what it is, is um, there's two roads that pinch off, and then you got this one holler is very steep, so all the movement is forced up to the head of this drain, and it's probably 60 yards of the area where all the movement is forced into. And normally I hunt it, and last year we just had the same wind direction for those first three or four days and I was getting lucky and the wind was blowing straight up the draw to me <clears throat> and I do have to cross one trail but the trail that I'm crossing is the um least traveled trail in there right. a few deer do you know cut my scent but they don't 
you know, usually spook. Most of the deer come from below me and travel across in and out below me, which is 25, 30 yards, right on the edge of the, where the holler gets real steep. But yeah, it was all those things. You know, it's good access, as good to access as you're going to find anyway. And then the wind, as long as you keep a consistent, the consistent wind for that stand, you know, you can't overhunt a stand there. Right. At least I, you know, it ain't bit me yet. We'll see if it ever does, but there's always that time it can. And then, you know, we always, our scent control, we use, you know, Remington scent control. We spray down, we bath, we keep all our clothes stored in a scent crusher bag. And, you know, we use an infield ozone generator too. So, I guess we take care of everything, every precaution we can. And that's something, um, you know, the ozone technology the last few years has been a, a lot of people who don't buy into it or whatever, but the ozonic and sand crusher stuff is a game changer, especially in those mountains where you can't get a consistent wind. Yeah. Okay. So then after, you know, after you, okay, okay let me see here. The, 2006 is when you started hunting serious, right? So how how many years from 2006 to 2016, you know, that's 10 years now you've been hunting serious. That's roughly about the same same as me. How long, how many years have you been successful and how many years have you kind of ate tag soup? Um, let's see. Go back to 06, 07 and 08. I didn't hunt a whole, whole lot because um, of work, and I ended up getting out of a long relationship. There's a few other things that went on during that time, but 09, I kind of bought back in hard. <clears throat> I know you kind of dealt some of the same, not the same issues, but kind of the same deal. You kind of backed off, and then when you came back, you came back 100%, bought 100% in, and yeah. so it's a, man, I think I've six or seven years i think i've killed five four or five mature deer you know one 30 plus right right so, so probably 60 65 percent maybe okay so how was your 2016 season i mean okay so wait a second before you answer that when did you end up moving to north carolina in 2009 in 2009 so yep. so do you from 2009 to now are you traveling up to west virginia to hunt um yeah mainly 2009 and 2010 i um didn't get to a whole lot because i was trying to get my feet under me here and um, i didn't have the vacation time and this and that and then 2011 i ended up getting hired on permanent where i'm at and we get you know great vacation time and this and that so then I started traveling a lot and going back home to hunt, which is now non-resident for me. Right. And hunting my house state. Is that more expensive than I take it? Um, yeah. Yeah, I wish I'd have bought my lifetime license years ago. It's been a lot cheaper now, but, um, yeah, it ain't as bad as some states. I think West Virginia's 162, I believe, 172, which ain't bad at all. No. And that's, you can, um, I don't gun hunt a lot, and you can't go gun hunt 
like I said, in Logan, it's bow only, but right. you know, I do have a few places in Boone County that I can gun hunt. And I think it's what we're going to do this year is, um, we're going to go up and bow hunt for a week or two. And then we're going to try to gun hunt a few days. If, if we have been able to fill our bow tags, if I ain't fill my bow tag, I won't gun hunt any, but right. we're going to try to do that because with that, I think it's 162 or 172. You get a um, gun. You get two deer. You can kill. Um, if you buy an additional deer with bow, you can actually kill three bucks. You can kill two bucks with a bow, one in Boone, one in Logan, and then you can kill a deer with a gun as well. Okay, so they out, out there in West Virginia, it's based on county and not because in Iowa you get even a resident or non-resident, you get one one archery buck and that's it just one archery unless you're a landowner then you can get another uh archery buck and then you can shoot like one one gun deer like a muzzleloader or a shotgun i think so the the most bucks you can shoot in one year is three i believe whether that's a muzzleloader or a shotgun i think that's how it works i don't think you can shoot four I think the base, just the base license up there, if you bought your sportsman's package, we could kill two. I could kill two without buying any additional stamp, and I think I can buy an additional deer. You'd have to check on this because I ain't done it in a long, long time. I ain't bought my additional deer with a bow in a few years, probably five, I believe. And um, I think you can kill one with a bow in Boone County or any other county that's not one of the um, four bow-only counties. Right, and then you okay. can kill one in the bow onlys, and then one with a gun. I believe. Gotcha. So, how was your 2016 season? Did you chase? Uh, I mean, it now you said now you said you're starting to do a lot of uh, you know targeting on individual deer, right? Yeah, the last few years I've kind of started leaning that way. I'm trying to wait, um, especially the last few years, the last couple I've been trying to wait on a deer that you know five plus old a deer that i've got history with you know more than one year pictures or sightings um and this past year i ended up killing a deer i call um no brow or uh sickle <laughs> he kind of had two names because i didn't realize it was him until like the week before i killed him was when i finally realized it was a deer that i'd called no brow for the previous two years yeah which he had blew up and grew this big third bean he ended up scoring like 153, I think, gross or something. He ended up, he was um, five and a half years old, and yeah. he had grew this big third beam up that came off his base. It wasn't a third beam out of his skull. It just, his base, you know, it was a big kicker that blew up. And the year before, I had a buck we called Dagger who had that look almost identical during the early growing season. I thought yeah. it was Dagger who had just, I thought that, the point the the dagger point i just thought it had blew up and grew and then actually cameron and another guy that hunt pretty close had pictures of the buck dagger later on in the summer i thought like, well that ain't dagger you know who is it and then in early october mid-october probably around october 10th or so um what we called sickle then ended up breaking these third beam off and then I started comparing pictures to the buck we called No Brow and realized it was that deer. I know that's kind of confusing. I can mention three different bucks right there. But <laughs> <clears throat> dagger and Sickle and No Brow, but even though um, 
Snow Brow and Sickle were the same deer. I just didn't realize it. And then I finally ended up dropping the name Sickle and just started calling him No Brow. Gotcha. And I ended up killing him um, November, Saturday, November 18th, I believe, somewhere in there, 17th, 18th. Right, in Logan County, right? Yep, in Logan. And it was one of them, you know, I knew they was going to move that day. The day before it had rained, um, and we'd had a great week hunting. We'd seen, gosh, I'd passed one buck I caught too tall, and he's a four-year-old, big old heavy, and big heavy tall eight point and he probably scores 130 135 but i think he could blow up and be a really special eight point yeah um as far as being a mainframe a he's just because the buck we found dead a few years ago scored 176 as a mainframe eight and he looks a lot like he did you know around that same time frame i'm hoping that you know the same bloodline but um anyway i ended up passing that deer a couple times and getting some decent video of him and we ended up seeing a buck we call paparazzi and no brow was just everywhere the deer i ended up killing he was just working this ridge him and paparazzi both was kind of just working this ridge this east west running ridge back and forth and we've got stands you know dotted all up and down this ridge probably within a mile two miles and then the day i killed him like i said the day before big front pushed through it rained all day and then that next day saturday the um temperature was going to drop from gosh like 47 down into the high teens that saturday from noon to dark you know it was going to drop like 25 30 degrees and the wind was howling it's the only thought about it. i hate hunting high it seems like in the high winds there and i know y'all see you know better deer movement sometimes with you know 20 25 mile air winds but there in west virginia it just shuts them down most of the time <clears throat> but with the temperature drop I felt that the deer was going to move really good that day. So I told him, I was like, we'll just, you know, we won't hunt today, which is Friday. I was like, we'll wait. We'll sleep in in the morning because it rained up until about 11 o'clock that Saturday morning. And then the rain pushed out and then it pushed snow, like a mix, more snow, but kind of mixed. And then the front was pushing in. I was like, we'll wait and we'll go in about noon and hunt till dark. So that's what we done. We went in Saturday and hunted from 12 until dark and, um, gosh we ended up seeing i think we seen four different shooters that evening right between three of us and i ended up shooting him at i think i shot him at 4 30 he came in cruising he um i actually caught him on cameras i can go back and look at the cameras and he was just working the ridge and he worked out this high knob and dropped off the knob and then crossed the gasworld road and then he dropped down in there where i was on that bent and started working this bench out of the holler and I ended up stopping him and shooting him and hit him a little bit far back but and had to give him until the next day. I hit him in the liver, so I didn't want to push him, so right. I ended up giving him until the next morning. He didn't go probably a quarter of a mile. Like he died in his second bed. Right. So do, do the deer – what's the – and after you said this, did you have an idea where this buck was was bedding and where he was living? Was that was that core area consistent over the years, or did that change throughout you know um, his life? From what I've seen the last few years, his and most of the deer up there, three and four, they kind of have their biggest, you know, which is 
kind of natural anywhere in the whitetail world, but three and four, they kind of have their biggest ranges. Then they kind of start shrinking, you know, at five, six, seven. You know, at three and four, he was kind of everywhere. He was a deer that would show up. I think I've got pictures of him on every camera within a two-mile area there. You know, I run probably 25, 30 cameras, and I'll have pictures of him almost on every camera. And then this past year, um, you know, it wasn't quite like that. He had this, it was probably half of that area that he was running. But we see, and it's kind of weird, he had shrunk his area down to half the size, but he was showing up twice as much during the daylight. You know, so at five and a half, he got a lot more visible and was showing up twice as much in an area half as small. So we kind of knew that he was one, somebody was going to get a shot at just because of that. And he was one deer that we all <clears throat> wanted to hunt and hunt in that area because we knew how much he was showing up. And we had a pretty good idea of where he was going to show up. So did you have to fight a lot of hunting pressure? Uh, other guys, I mean, it sounds to me like a lot of guys knew about this buck. Um, and you also mentioned kind of earlier that, you know, in certain areas they know to stay out of it because it's your section of, of the property. Um, is it, do you have to fight hunting pressure or is it, uh, you just happen to get lucky on these days and there wasn't anybody out there hunting him? Um, most of the time we don't, we're pretty lucky. A lot of people, like I said, most of the guys in that area who've got access to that area kind of know, you know, and they kind of do their own thing and they don't expect to um, ride somebody else's coattails or whatever. You know what I mean? They don't try to push in on you. They don't try to bombard you. Um, and then there's some, you know, you will have a few road hunters here and there, people who like to road hunt. Yeah. Up, you know, and it's real bad up there. I know you're from Iowa. You're probably not used to seeing it, but up there you've got four-wheeler roads everywhere, and you'll get people. You've got one person who will sit on the front and drive, and you'll have somebody that sits on the back with an arrow knocked, and they'll just ride four-wheelers all day back and forth on these roads. And, you know, these people kill deer every year that way, kill big deer this way, because <clears throat> during the rut, you know how dumb deer get. They'll just stand there and look at you, and then they drive up on them on these four-wheelers, and they just stand up, draw back, and shoot them. Hmm. So you do have a lot of pressure in forms of road hunting, but as far as pressure, people coming in on you and setting up stands and hanging stands, no. But we do get a lot of road hunting pressure. Huh. So you got to get away from the roads up there, <clears throat> not real far away from the roads, just far enough off the roads and out of sight of the road. You know, within I, I can a couple of my better stands are within a hundred yards of roads. Right. But you can't set up the road and shoot a deer under my stand. Yeah. And the deer, you know, got used to that. They know to try to stay away from them road. Okay, cool. Well, what do you got planned for 2017? Um, well, this year we was going to go to Iowa, but it, I don't think we're going to have the points to draw. We actually, I think we can put in for points now, but um, I think we're coming out there next year. 2018? Um, yeah. How many points do you have? Um, I'll have three now since I bought this year. Okay, yeah. You probably could have got in into the northeast county, uh, like the northeast or eastern county with two maybe. But we're hunting uh, zone six, I believe. Um okay. we're That's hunting with um Nick Bowley, WRO um Windy Ridge Outfitters. I don't know if I've ever heard of those guys. He um he's got a lot of property that borders um in areas of the Lukoski hunt and stuff like that. So I think they're in zone six. 
I believe now. I believe it's southeast part of the state. Yeah, that's way for that's further south than where I'm at. So you're um, up in the northern part. Well, no, I I hunt I hunt kind of in eastern Iowa, but that farm I think you're or that outfitter I think is in southern, uh, way southern Iowa. So cl- uh, kind of close to Missouri actually. Yeah, he's way yeah because he's got some um, properties in Missouri too. He's got some. Yeah great piece of the property yep so so next year you'll be taking a trip to iowa um anything else yeah. going on for uh uh for or 2018 you'll be heading to iowa 2017 just another year of focusing on uh on logan county yeah. then yeah logan and um, probably wyoming we've got um our group you know so we run a page calculated killers you know and we try to share it ain't nothing big. We do some video and stuff, but we try to share more about information type stuff. I like to share pictures and tactics and this and that stuff I've learned. But um, we're after a few good deer. Actually, we just posted some pictures. Um, my buddy John went up today and pulled some cameras, and we got another drop time buck that showed up on the lease in Wyoming County. Um, oh, there's nice. one deer up there we called Double D. He's probably a hundred and. 65 170 inch double drop time deer um we'll be chasing him and then you know the area that i my bread and butter that i've learned so much about the last few years and those deer caught me a lot the last few years um i'll be chasing the deer i call too tall that i mentioned earlier who he'll be a five-year-old this year big eight he won't be no 160 or 170 but i think he could be 150 inch mainframe eight that's still a big year really it's a really big eight especially if it ain't but 16 or 17 inches wide and then a buck we call paparazzi and paparazzi is he'll be seven this year and um this will be gosh the fourth or fifth year i've got pictures of him and we was on him last year i put my buddy on him and he ended up missing him um the day he ended up missing him the morning before or two days before i killed my deer on saturday he missed him on thursday morning right um last year out of the same stand i ended up killing mine out of because i give him his shot and i was like you've had your shot and i'm gonna go in there and hunt because i was kind of <laughs> hoping to kill paparazzi but <clears throat> i wasn't gonna pass a five and a half year old deer up that i had three years of history with to wait on him either right Right. But, you know, the deer I ended up killing. But, yeah, I'd like to kill paparazzi. Just, well, he ain't no super high-scoring deer. He may, may make 160, but, like I said, I'm more about that age and history than score anymore. Right. It's just fun telling that story. <clears throat> what about North Carolina? Are you going to hunt there at all? <sighs> I hunt here a little bit, but, honestly, man, in my area, it just, it is horrible. <laughs> It is horrible hunting. I'll kill. I may try to kill a doe or two just to get some venison in the freezer. But you know, like I said, I run a lot of cameras. I run twenty-five, thirty cameras down here. I've had. I ain't never run every camera I own down here because it's so hard to find property to hunt. But down here, since I've lived here, I think I've had like one or two mature deer, three years old or older, on camera in the areas I hunt, you just don't see them. Deer just don't live. I mean, a three-year-old is ancient here, and a two-year-old's an old deer. People just don't pass them, and it's just hard to get on good deer here. Now, there's certain areas in North Carolina that's really good. You know, you get up along the Virginia border, Rockingham counties, and 
areas like that, you can get some great deer. They some big deer killed, but just in my area, northwest North Carolina, you know, there's, you know, it's building up. You know, it's getting bigger. The housing developments, this and that, and you know, so their deer you losing a lot of them territory and this and that, and it just can't sustain the numbers. And I don't think the numbers. You know, what the state puts out and what I see, it don't add up to me, but I don't know. I'm no biologist, so I don't get paid to do that, but I know I don't get excited about hunting here. <laughs> they don't get a lot of my money. <clears throat> gotcha, gotcha. Well, I tell you what, Josh, I, I appreciate you taking time to come on the uh, podcast and chat with us today. I appreciate it, Dan. And, yeah, anybody that wants to check us out, like I said, go to Calculated Killers, and um, we share pictures daily. Of, um, we've got 10 or 12 cell cameras running, you know, starting in July. And you'll be able to see a lot of these deer that I've talked about, you know, watch them grow throughout the year and then, you know, watch us try to get on them as far as tactics and stuff. But I appreciate you having me on. I enjoyed talking. It. Anytime I get to talk big deer, I enjoy it. And there you have it. Another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Josh for coming on the podcast and uh, chatting with us today. Really appreciate it. Huge shout out to each and every one of you for taking time out of your day to uh, listen, download, whatever it is that you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Huge shout out to the partners of this podcast. Exodus, Ozonics, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Deer Lab, Ripcord, Wasp Archery, and Gearhead Bows. Be sure to check out all of those partners and remember to tune in. Don't skip the intro of all these podcasts because that's where I talk about the offers. Um, if there's a, a, a discount or not, uh, that's where you're going to find it is at the beginning of this podcast or all the podcasts. Um, if you have social media and want to follow me, check me out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, if you have any questions or want to be on the podcast, whether you want to have a hunter profile done about you, whether you want to review a product, which I'm going to be looking for a lot more of, because as we all know, right now is the buying season, the beginning of the buying season for the, the hunting industry. Uh, starts about now and winds up, you know, winds down right as the season starts. Uh, but a lot of people are starting to do their research now. A lot of people are starting to uh, look into what products they want to purchase for the season, what brands. And uh, so I would love to help those people out by hearing some uh, non-biased reviews from the average Joes like uh, you and me. Other than that, I think we're good to go here. Remember, National Deer Alliance, National Deer Alliance, National Deer Alliance, National Deer Alliance. You know what to do. And uh, guys, it's time to start uh, trimming trees. And I say this every time, and hopefully you don't end the podcast because uh, when it's all said and done, what I'm about to say is probably the most important words that you'll hear throughout the entire hour that this podcast lasts. And that is, if you're in a tree, guys, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.
Thank you.